Hello, welcome to Utabia with me, Stephen Chicken, and with you, David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad at all. How are you? Yeah, giving it the old Chuckle Brothers intro there. <laughs> Seems appropriate. <laughs> to me. Uh, <laughs> to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, the score was very to me, to you, on Saturday. To use the worst worst intro we've ever done. Uh, Huddersfield Town were 2-0 up against Wickham Wanderers, bottom of the championship, and incredibly ended up losing that game. Um, not good, was it, Dave? No, I, like we'll get into the specifics, but I don't think there's any like level of statistical analysis or anything really analytical that is going to get past the fact that Huddersfield Town have just lost a must-win game of football. You, you, this was of all the fixtures between now and the end of the season that where. Yeah, you look at you look at Towns Run and they've got some decent home fixtures in truth. That's why I think we both, Steve, think they'll they'll more than likely they'll still be okay. They'll still stay up. But this was the one where you'd almost you'd almost put a line through it because it's like oh well yeah you know they'll win that one. That's absolutely fine. I mean Wickham come into the game sit twenty seven matches and they scored eighteen goals mm-hmm. and conceded forty seven in that time. I mean they were there for the taking, weren't they? It's it's. There's no other way to describe it, really. And to go 2-0 up as well is just extraordinary. To, to collapse from that position, and that's what it was. It was a collapse. <sighs> yeah, not good. Not good, mate. That's it. It's not even like it's it's on paper. This was an easy game, and they've come into it, and Wickham were absolutely on top of their game and firing on all cylinders and putting in the kind of performance they haven't put in for years. You know, we've, we've seen that happen. That, that can happen. Um, you know, Town did it a couple of times in in the Premier League. In truth, uh, the second season, even they did get some some unexpected results that people would have said, "Where did that come from?" But I mean, as you say, it wasn't it wasn't even that because they. I thought they were really comfortable the first half an hour without being completely dominant. They were they looked the better team, and then Wickham started coming back into the game. I thought they Wickham actually responded really well to to going behind. Uh, Wickham had had put them under a bit of pressure and Town had to do a bit of last-ditch defending but they got the goal against the run of play that made it 2-0 and you're thinking well you know they should be should be dead and buried here Wickham they should be finished there shouldn't be any way for them back into this game Town just needs to Town don't even need to be going for another goal particularly they just need to control the game um, and and they'll you know they'll they'll get the result and instead they just they completely collapsed I mean as you say there is no other word for it they they conceded that goal in half time injury time I think that was coming I think it was probably about the right score line on balance of play um, at, at the break I think if if Wickham probably did deserve to have a goal before the break but Town shouldn't let them score it you know you can't even play out injury time at 2-0 up then then that's not great and then after the break they they were okay for 10 minutes they had Pippa put one wide that wasn't far wide at all but then they concede that ridiculous penalty and yeah it was a slightly soft uh pen but it was definitely a penalty um hog makes and i don't think this is that characteristic for jonathan hog to to go to go and make that kind of silly tackle we know that he's very you know aggressive he picks up a lot of yellow cards but he tends not to make silly challenges in those kinds of positions and give away penalties i can't remember too many occasions where he's done that no so that was slightly maybe it was a positional thing because he was playing at centre back, but I thought that was that was poor. And then after that, oh, they were dreadful. They they offered absolutely nothing, and they'd already started to to wane gradually over the match. Town after getting the first goal, that their standards sort of started slipping and slipping. And then after the equaliser, I mean, it was. I was speaking to to Mel Booth actually after the game, and he was saying it was like a slow death. Um, You know, you just could see that that third goal was coming. They had Mm. absolutely no fluency. They their their defending was woeful. Just everything, everything was bad after that equaliser. Yeah. I think the, the thing is, Town go one nil up, and I think instead of instead of relaxing and settling into the game, it was almost as if Wickham, after a couple of minutes, sniffed blood and thought, "Hang on a sec, we can, you know, we can still get something from this." Town go two nil up, as you say, coming at the result of a, a quite a bright spell for Wickham, and I think other clubs would have just sort of almost knocked it on the head and said, "Right, okay, we're two nil down. We'll take that one on the chin. Let's try and see the game out." But I think they'd they'd seen enough 
to know they could have a go at town at that point and the goal coming when it did, you can talk about sort of mental blows and everything. I'm I'm not actually a massive proponent of that because I think they scored just before half time, but you've got fifteen minutes there to go in and sort it out one way or another and it was clear that things were starting not to work for town. And I thought I thought the first goal from town was absolutely brilliant. I thought it was their best passage of play in the afternoon and Great pick from Vallejo, great knockback from Campbell. It had a good run from Bakuna just to hang off the defender and just to wait. It was it was a, a good level of patience. But it was after that goal, it just felt like not that they stopped, but it just felt like I don't I don't know if one or two felt the job might be done or what happened. But that first goal weirdly marked the moment for me where things started to go wrong for Town even though they go 2-0 up. And I do think Wigan just got to a point where they, they genuinely thought there's nothing to be scared of here. We don't need to contain anymore. We can we can go for this and they got their rewards and Wigan are a deeply, deeply average side, Steve. <laughs> are you saying Wigan? Uh, w- Wickham, Wickham, southern accent. <laughs> but they're a deeply average side. They've got a couple of good players. You know, Joe Jacobson is a, is a, a very, very solid professional footballer. Mm. Josh Knight is really, really good. I think he's on loan from Leicester for them. And he got the goal, but he was really good all afternoon. He hit the bar with that deflected shot from 25 yards, but he was mm. he was excellent. And I just, I, we've got to talk about Huddersfield Town on this podcast and, and not Wickham really, because this is a Huddersfield Town podcast, but I'm just, I'm genuinely at a bit of a loss as to why they did collapse like they did, Steve, because they've not, Huddersfield Town have lost lots of games this season and they've lost games where they've been in control for half an hour and then they've let another team in, but they've had a bit of a boot and a rally later. They've been outplayed by better sides. They've lost games to silly defensive mistakes. We've not seen them lose like this, have we, Steve? No, I don't think so. Like, it was, (laughs) this felt like sort of second season Premier League beginning of last season sort of performance where as soon as they concede that goal we can just see yeah exactly you can just see heads drop and there's it's almost like oh there's nothing they can do about this but I mean there was something they could have done about it and I thought about this a lot and I think if if Isaac Benter had scored that second goal and then Town get to half time and they're 2-0 up and after the break, Wickham just come roaring out the traps and get a goal straight away. And it's almost the same game, except Wickham scored just after the break rather than just before. That's almost more forgivable. But the fact that Wickham got that goal before the break, having had that pressure and knowing that the Imbenza goal came against the run of play, why didn't anything get changed at half time? Yeah. You know, w- Wickham were going, we're getting so much joy up those wings in particular. Like, I think that was sort of. That was probably the turning point was when they realised, oh, there's loads of space in behind Lewis O'Brien and Pippa. Let's just (laughs) whack the ball into the corners, get it into the corners as quickly as we can, you know, get to the halfway line and then just try and get up the wings as quickly as we can from there and just get crosses into the box. Why they didn't bring someone on or or make a change to offer a bit more protection to Mm. Lewis O'Brien and Pippa is, you know, it was so obvious that they needed help down those wings they needed to change the shape of that defence and that needed to happen at half time because effectively it was a three wasn't it it was Sar yeah Sar Hogg and Keogh and the problem is on the on the left hand side Sar is far more natural coming out to that left wing I mean he has played as a left back quite a few times so he's far more natural coming out and filling in and he's got Lewis O'Brien's running there but Pippa was playing really really high again so the problem is Keogh doesn't want to come all the way out to that right side because that's not where his natural instincts well, they, are. The, He's the, the central defender, and they had they had Keo as the central central defender. They had Hog on the right, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's how he ended up in the position to concede that penalty. But yeah, you're right. You know, he he wants to. He's in there to to win headers. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and so then you got you do get this gap, you know, behind Pippa, and you've got to adjust. You've you've <laughs> game management. You know, seeing the you got to see these things, and I would have, again, it's not even a proper football man thing, Steve, but they could have just switched back to their 4-3-3 yeah. that 
they're, they're allegedly, you know, really comfortable in because they've played it lots of times. And I know you've got Lewis O'Brien in as a left back, and that's not a, a natural, not a natural position for him. But you needed to do something because it was it was like being tied to the track and seeing the train coming, except the train's coming from miles away. So it's just this gradual creep of you could see where the, the black holes are on the pitch. And that penalty comes. It, listen, it is it is a slightly dodgy penalty, but there is. No, I mean, it is a penalty because striker buys it without a shadow of a doubt. He's really, really clever. But Hogg is under so much stress at that point because he's been having to come out. He's constantly worried about that space. He knows he's got no cover there because of the way Pippa's playing higher up. He comes and he jumps in because he's 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 basically playing on the edge. You know, mm. he's he's constantly worried. He's he doesn't feel comfortable at all. So he buys the foul. It's penalty. It's two two, and then yeah, Mel's right. It's just this death by a thousand cuts of of you. You knew it was coming, and it was coming because Huddersfield Town did all the the things that we've sort of pulled our hair about. You know, just getting deeper and deeper and deeper, giving the ball away cheaply, possession being really really sterile, not having any sort of penetration at the the other end to try and force Wickham back and you just saw Wickham grow and grow into the game they 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 really I mean not only did they get the goal to win it Steve they finished like bang on top they mm. if that game had gone on for another half an hour it have probably been four or five to yeah you know it's it, it wasn't a smash and grab job at the end to get the goal and I think that's what is so disappointing for me the the lack of changing it the lack of of trying to react and do something at the right time because it was clear before half time yeah even when two nil up even before they get that goal and we should talk about that goal a little bit as well Steve in a minute but it it was clear that Wickham fancied the chances they weren't going to go quietly into that good night and why should they you know why should they die asking when you've got a team there who were who who were clearly struggling yeah I, I mean I it's worth saying I actually did quite like the starting lineup that, that Carlos Corbran picked I thought given that they've got one fit experienced senior winger and they've got no fit senior left back I thought well I think it does make sense to be fair to pick a system that doesn't have a left back and doesn't have any wingers you know I thought playing the 3-5-2 was was a, a reasonable idea um and I know that that means you've got sort of Hogg playing out of position O'Brien playing out of position and Benza playing out of position but sometimes you know you set your team up in a way that is more than the sum of its parts and I thought the losing a little bit out of those players was probably worth it for what you got in the system and I think we saw that in the first half hour where as I say they weren't exactly you know absolutely blitzing Wickham and and you know blowing them away and we're all sitting here going oh wow what a great game how did they you know lose it from there but they were comfortable they they were doing what they needed to but you know opponents will see what you're doing and will adjust to it and Mm. it feels like Huddersfield Town don't do that it feels like they don't see what the opponent is doing and adjust to it you know and when they do it's it's much too late they they needed as you said to to go to that four at the back and just get that extra protection at full back they needed the wingers coming back and and it was it was I think it was Mbenza and Campbell were the ones who were being the extra full backs you know that the the centre forwards were coming and, and dropping in and and try to offer protection but that gives them a lot of you you're then asking your players out why to do a lot of running just to get back into position because Pippa's getting forward Campbell's getting forward and Benz is getting forward O'Brien's getting forward and you've got no one back there and we know that a, a three at the back can be turned if you go up one side and then switch it to the other you they they are prone to losing their shape that is a noted problem with with the three at the back and that's even when good teams play with it so why they didn't change that is is I don't know it's unbelievable to me because it it isn't even like we've sat here Dave and watched the game back afterwards and gone (laughs) you know oh that was where the issue was it was obvious at the time yeah I think it's no surprise at this point to me that Huddersfield Town I've we've sat there in lots of games and we've I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast. They never get the second goal. They always look really good for half an hour and then they they never capitalise on it. They haven't put 90 minutes together. And the simple reason for that is because other, you know, other, to be frank, other managers see what they've got and they adjust and they change things. 
and they change the shape and they change angles of attack etc and that i i think it's very easy to to forget and get caught up in the idea that carlos corbran doesn't see these things or he's he's not seeing them etc it's it's a guy who's in his first season of management and i think it's quite clear that this is a weakness that he needs to work on now when i say that that doesn't mean i'm immediately saying he has to go but he's 29 games into this now and he there's no denying he needs to be more reactive you know he needs to he needs to see these things and it's not that's not just Corbran, you know, his his analysts and everyone else need to be on the ball and they need to be helping him out there as well. Um but it was it was Wickham. <laughs> they yeah. they weren't playing Norwich or Bournemouth or uh, Swansea who they've got Saturday or Watford or Reading or Bournemouth. This this was Wickham and it was it was I tweeted after the game, I think it was an equal failure on the bench and on the pitch really, because there was there was not enough reaction, there was not enough trying to change things trying to do something different and then on the pitch there was a few players who just collapsed they they really I mean that second half as you said earlier was was that particularly that last half an hour was just terrible absolutely terrible town couldn't keep possession the moments they did keep possession they couldn't do anything with it their defensive shape was all over the place nobody had an out ball at any point no they ended up just I mean then Richard Keogh ended up just just whacking it up the pitch half the time you know it's Mm. And we know that that is a, that is a, you know we we talk about them tapping it about at the back. I don't think it was even that. They just I'm looking at it here. That sort of after the penalty, Town's pass completion rate. In fact, for the whole second half, their pass completion rate was 65 percent at home. And you know we sort of we praised them after the Luton game a bit for going a bit more direct and giving up the possession and giving up the pass completion in favour of going more direct and and trying to you know get in behind Luton and try and get against that high line but uh, I don't think that's the reason for it here I think they just became incredibly sloppy none of them could hold on to the ball um, no. you know the, the the only player who had more than 80% pass completion rate in the second half was Jonathan Hogg and he's obviously one of your deepest lying players so yeah it was uh, it was it was pretty shocking all round mm. I mean the, the first goal really summed the game up for town more than anything else in that they just let the, the lad basically control it run into the box get into a shooting position and I think there was three I think three men round him at the front two men behind him and nobody puts a challenge in at any point mm. and it's it's like that is that's really really worrying because that that sort of level of <laughs> That sort of level of of you know collective nobody taking responsibility is is really really worrying. And we we sort of sit here and we say that town. I, I still think town aren't going to get relegated. But the difference is, I I'm starting to think town aren't going to get rele- relegated just by virtue of how bad other sides are. Instead of the you know the progress Huddersfield Town have made or how good they are, because you look at the sides they've got to play at home and. Huddersfield Town should be fine. They've got to play Birmingham at home. They've got to play Rotherham at home. They've got to play Coventry at home. But if you lose three two to Wigan when you're two nil up, suddenly that puts everything in doubt. <laughs> it it's it's it was a really. If you're exactly right in that it did feel like second season of the Premier League at certain times where. there was just there was a little bit of effort and things were working until they weren't and then nothing worked (laughs) and it's that's where you need you need some help from the bench I think that's where you need a manager to help you change the shape try something different try and relieve a bit of pressure give you a bit of encouragement and it's yeah, it was a really, really worrying 90 minutes on Saturday. Yeah, we asked Carlos Corbran, obviously, after the game what, what he put it down to, and he said that he, he felt the players struggled with the emotional side of the game and that basically confidence is just rock bottom at the moment. But, I mean, the obvious report retort to that is, well, yeah, but you were 2-0 up <laughs> yeah. but at one point. If you can't have confidence when you're 2-0 up at home to, to Wickham. And, you know, he said that the, the pressure of the occasion got to them because they all felt like... Like it was a big, big must-win game, um, and it's like, well, yeah, but it was a, a big must-win game, so that is a concern if yeah. if that is their response to the pressure. And I was thinking about it, yeah. and it's like, is is this the old issue creeping back in? Is this 
you know that that Premier League stuff or that stuff from last season. But then you look at the lineup and it's like, well, the only players that were there, even at the, sort of the start of last season, that were in that starting lineup, who who were playing consistently, were like Lewis O'Brien, Janino Bakuna, Jonathan Hogg. Uh, Campbell came in after the start of last season and was was part of the sort of the beginning of that. And Benza barely played, so it is a pretty much a, at least half that first eleven is sort of new players who weren't playing regularly in that that previous spell. So I don't think it is just a hangover. I think it is a new incidence of it. But there's there's something there's something not right there for them to have gone from the confidence they had in the first half of the season. And yeah, I mean it's it's important not to misrepresent the first half of the season either because they were extremely up and down. But I think we were seeing that that the trajectory overall was was going the right way. You know, they were gradually getting more and more sort of points every five games it's kind of thing. Um so for that to have fallen apart and gone by the wayside so incredibly quickly, you feel like there's something there and I'm again it's it's you don't want to cast aspersions and I'm this isn't based on anything anyone has said to me. This isn't based on anything really. But um you know, is it that there's someone at the club that someone that people are afraid of? Is it that there's a lack of pastoral care and the players need you know a bit more looking after that they're not getting we know that Carlos is very demanding so you'd imagine that that you know it's not the the boot up the rear end kind of thing uh, that they need you wonder how these confidence issues can keep coming back and coming back and coming back with different players different managers you know when everything has changed at the club and maybe that is overreading it maybe this is just something that happens at every club and it isn't a Huddersfield town thing but yeah we the the reason I think it's such a concern at Huddersfield is because we know where that can lead um so they do need to do a bit of a job and if it turns out it is just one of those things and you know every club suffers this then fine but I do think they they can't really leave any stone unturned when they're trying to find out what the what the cause of this is no I they're they're human beings (laughs) footballers are human beings and I think we're all guilty sometimes of of forgetting that and I, I the to, to lose your confidence against Wickham when, and I would argue that it, it was really wobbling way before they'd scored that goal. Way before they'd scored that goal. When you're 2-0 up as well. It's just, it, it, it really does suggest there are, there is an issue there, but who knows, as I said we that's purely guesswork. What we, what isn't guesswork is, is the actual physical aspects of it and how Town were really worryingly outplayed again. You know, it's the same same things we talk about all the time, Steve. They were at home this time, though, to the bottom of the league, and Wickham still had more shots than them, more shots on target, more shots off target. They had the same number of corners. This It's a real problem, because we... When we did a podcast after the Norwich game, we to let people in on, on a sort of secret, we no, it was after the Brentford game, I think, Steve. We went in quite hard on town to say that, you know, they've really got to improve because what we wanted to do was set a baseline so that in the podcast over the following weeks, we could, you know, tell people where the needle had moved, how town were improving, what aspects of the game were getting better. This is below that. You know, they fall and below the baseline here which is that as I said that's really really worrying and the problem Town have got is that the games come thick and fast and they don't get any easier for them at all um, Middlesbrough away tomorrow is a really tough game Middlesbrough are a funny side on a poor run of form but you would suspect they're looking at Huddersfield Town in the same manner that Huddersfield Town were looking at the Wickham game now you know for beforehand they're going to be thinking well this is a home game we have to win if we're serious about trying to break into that playoff pack and then they've got Swansea who are third and who are absolutely flying on Saturday and before you know it that's that's another two games gone another six points lost potentially if they lose them both they've got to find a way to get something from one or the other game and it's it's the pressure just increases week on week and if you we don't know if they're they're having a bit of problem with mental fragility we've no idea it's just pure speculation but you lose another couple of games another three four games another five six games it doesn't 
doesn't get any easier. No. <laughs> just ramps up and gets worse and worse and worse. So yeah, it's it's a worry. It's a worry. I I still I still think Town should just about be all right, but they've got to arrest this slide pretty pretty quickly. I mean, they're at that point again where I don't even think they need a win. They need a performance first just to try and give themselves a bit of just to try and give themselves a bit of belief again because they just look like a team that didn't believe the you know the system or believe in themselves in the second half i would i would disagree with that to be honest i think i think they had that performance in the second half against bristol city and they didn't build on it i think i think they do they are at the point where they need that three points now because we saw last season uh you know after they beat stoke they you know they went unbeaten over the next six um after that so i think a win does does do wonders for them um potentially but that's the issue is it's so hard to see where that win is going to come from now you know we keep saying it and everyone's saying it but it is (laughs) you can't get away from saying but they lost to wickham after being two nil up if they're not going to win a game from that position then when are they going to win and that's that is the, the the real worry and and why we're seeing the fans getting so angry and upset and and concerned over the weekend and I, I don't blame them at all because it is impossible to see where the next win will come from. And that is not the same as saying Huddersfield Town are never gonna win again and they're definitely down. Like don't don't take that impression away from it. But it's just as a fan you need that hope, don't you, Dave? It's that's you know, that's something mm. you've said. Um it, and if you don't have that hope then of course you're gonna kick off and I I really don't blame fans at all this weekend. But since they since they they beat Blackburn, um and it was it was it was a decent performance. Again, they've not really put ninety minutes together, but it was a decent performance. They've lost two one to Reading, they've lost two nil to Watford, one nil to Millwall, two one to Bristol City, then two one one draws and then three two. They're they're rarely beaten out of sight in games. This is the thing, this is the frustrating thing they rarely get done for four five or six they had a, a bad day down at Bournemouth but I think there were mitigating circumstances for that which we both had our say on in the podcast yeah. after that game they're not a million miles away but it feels like it and it feels like it because the creativity problems are back the goal scoring problems are back and then the the thing that's really worrying is they do get two goals in this game they get what we've been crying out for them to get which is they get the opening goal and then they build on it and manage to get another one before half time so the fact they've done what we've been crying out for and what we've been asking them to do and it's still not enough that's that's a moment in time really that is a real you you have to in the dressing room you have to say right that is rock bottom mm. we really have to like piece ourselves back together here go back to basics and like going back to basics is a really easy phrase to just throw out there to fix any problem you know oh we need to strip it back to basics and start again but I really feel here Town really have got to strip it back and look at what was working in the first half of the season because they look a different side. Yeah. And for me, the moment where things changed or when where things started to look really bad was they lo- lose the Reading game, but it was Reading and they came up against a striker who just had two moments mm. of inspiration, really. But then the Watford game, they were pretty insipid and they looked like they were beaten before they'd started. They really offered so little. But it's that Millwall game yeah, where all the old problems came back. The, the sit, you know, sitting deep, passing it side, ways the complete lack of creativity the struggle to get anything from wide the lack of of sort of positivity within the team was was there to see and we've sat here and said they're they're not sort of sleepwalking into relegation or what have you but they're sliding now they're sliding and they've got a the whole point of of Corbin coming in and the Cowleys going was that this season they were supposed to make minimal progress but progress nevertheless and it was supposed to be more fun so they weren't asking for roller coasters and fireworks but it was supposed to be a little bit better but a lot more fun and at the moment you're sort of sitting there and going well if you look at the season as a whole 29 games in you can point to individual progress so you can say it's good that Ryan Schofield's now in goal and and is established it's good that some of the young players have had a lot of football but other than that it's tough to argue there's a load of progress there and that's 
that is a worry because this sort of eternal mantra that they're going to rebuild in the summer and we know they've got 13 players out of contract and we know they're going to have to reshape that squad and the wage bill is going to come down you still you still just can't write a season off wholesale when you've said it is supposed to be more fun and there should be a bit of progress and that's again it's a worry it is a worry because let's let's be honest Steve we know what the temperature of the fans is out there we we are on social media <laughs> we are on social media we have friends who are Huddersfield Town fans we're in several groups with Huddersfield Town fans together Steve so we are well aware what the temperature of the fans is and if they get to the end of this season and survive but it's it's come down to another West Brom game mm. you know it's it's come down to second to last I really think that there's it's going to be an even tougher summer because that's the that's the thing that wasn't supposed to happen me and you first half of the season were preaching that well we think you know by the end of february early march they should be pretty much done and dusted you know lower Mm. mid table comfortable it's not gonna happen (laughs) no it's not gonna happen it it, i'm not saying it's gonna go right to the wire but it's gonna go all the way through april isn't it yeah i mean yeah exactly and i think that the sort of the goal coming into this month was no one should be talking about relegation i think we've already we've we've knackered that now (laughs) um i I think i think people are going to be talking about relegation until the end of the season i think even if they win the next five which is very unlikely to happen people will be still worrying that there's another slide coming um so yeah I, it's it's not a good situation to be in. It's it's interesting you mentioned as well, just sort of while you, while you've been wittering on there, um, <laughs> I've been having a look at the number of times they've lost and by by how many goals. So last season they lost fourteen games by two or more goals and seven games by exactly one goal. This season they've only lost four games by two or more goals, but they've lost ten by one goal. Yeah. Which that shows that just still no, there's no potency to that attack. Because if if it if you're still at a point where it's taking a one goal lead to basically see a game out, that's you're just not off, offering enough attack wise. And like I'm not going to have the striker debate again. I think we're past <laughs> that. Like they do need one. Yeah. Like fine. But it's but it's it's clear that. If, if they're going to bring Omani Ass in, we know that they are trying. We know there's difficulties. He's got to, he's got to get various permits sorted, I believe, hasn't he? They have to change something. If if Nias isn't, isn't, you know, Nias might come and still needs a couple of weeks before he can get up and running. They've got to try something else. They have to try something else. I, I don't know if we're at the point without loading a load of pressure on him or anything like that. You know, I, I wouldn't want to blow him up, but I don't know if we're at the point where you try a Kieran Phillips where you you try and even let's get Sorba Thomas in and have a look and see if he's you know see if he offers something different because I, I'm a big Dwayne Holmes fan I I really really like him but I I don't think he works that high up pitch I think he's a central midfielder mm. I think well I think he's a box to box midfielder yeah, I think his, that's what he his, is his great qualities when I looked at those clips of him were he drives with the ball similar to Lewis O'Brien mm. he, you know and he's good at getting past people on the ball as well um, better than Lewis at that but he, he also always looks up and, and looks for that he's, he's really good at sort of a 30 yard slide rule pass um, and you, yeah. you can't be playing them from number 10 because at number 10 it's all no. about 10 yarders so while while Aaron's is out I don't know you know as I said Thomas came on for a sort of nominal cameo really but you've got to, you've got to try something different Steve you, you can't just keep doing the same thing expecting it to work mm. and the thing is People will hate the comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway. People always say about Bielsa, well, you know, if plan A doesn't work, then you just do plan A better. But it's it's not really true, that, because the contradiction is everybody knows and everybody laughs about the fact that Bielsa does all this preparation for games and he watches all these opponents' games for the season and he produces these dossiers. Why would you do that if you're just going to do the same thing every week? It's because he, they have a basic plan, but they make a lot of adjustments and they make a lot of in-game adjustments and at the moment Town are just sort of asking the same question all the time mm-hmm. and they've got to start asking different questions and as I said maybe it's time for a, a Phillips or someone else just to 
a little bit of an injection of of something else in there to just change the angles, change change the style, change the change where the space is on the pitch, and you'd be surprised how that can sort of lift somebody else as well. Um, but they've got to do something. Got to do something, Steve. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's our playing histories because uh, you were a striker and I was a defender. You, you played to a much better standard than me. Uh, I was dreadful, but um, I I still I agree they need to do more in attack. I mean, that's obvious. They've they've scored five in their last six, which is uh, I've 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 got the spreadsheet out here, and that is not enough goals. It says, um, but it also. <laughs> I mean, they've also conceded 15 in the last nine, um, which is is far too many. They've not kept a clean sheet in any of their last nine league games, um, having kept four in five before that, which is... That is so weird. And I know that we've had changes of personnel. We've had... Uh, you know, changes of goalkeeper, changes of centre-back, changes of central midfielders. Hogg's been out, Hogg's been back in, Vallejo's been in, Vallejo's been back out. But, you know, Toffolo's suspended now. But even accounting for all that, there's, that is a, a poor, poor record. And they, we've talked a lot about game management as well. And I, I feel like that is sort of the key behind half of those goals that we're talking about here. Because so many of them are, they concede one and then concede another straight away. Or it's, they get to injury time in, in the first half and then can't see it out. Or they get to five minutes from the end. Uh, and they've had a crap game, but it's 2-2, and at least it's a point, and they can't see it out. There's been so many, you know, even against sort of Blackburn and Middlesbrough, where they won games in sort of November and December, they've had to fire back after the opposition have been let allowed to score after sort of, you know, they, they've, they've had to come back from the opposition equalising against them, basically. So, and I th- you know, you think of that Birmingham game as well, and, and what a massive three points that could end up being if the season progresses as it is that that Birmingham took where Mbenzer had scored or two points I should say Mbenzer had scored an equaliser and then Birmingham score in the 90th minute anyway so there's a lot of goals there and we talk about individual errors but there's a lot of goals there that it feels like they're avoidable if you are smarter about how you set the team up and how you get them playing and how you get them to see the games out and this feels like a team that hasn't been drilled and we've been saying it all season we've been saying it since I think the Norwich game they've been that this doesn't feel like a team that has been set up and trained on how to see a game out when you're one nil up with three minutes to go or 10 minutes to go or 20 minutes to go they just they seem not to know what to do in, in those situations and that is really worrying it is it is but this it this is the <laughs> I've said it before about town the problem is yeah you're right we look we we both tend to look at different ends of the pitch naturally the thing is town need made uh, need minor surgery in every area yeah so the attack has got to be more potent more clinical midfield has got to be more creative more progressive defense has got to be more organized more rigid and to be perfectly honest with you, it's just got to be more confident and even in goal i think ryan schofield who's doing well and progressing very very well but he's now got to get to the point where he's organizing his defense and telling them exactly what he wants the problem is all of those things are sort of relatively minor surgery to fix but when you've got to perform minor surgery everywhere that's not minor surgery anymore that's major surgery and this is this is the problem and i think i think town have got to look where the easiest fixes are and i I think that the the problem with that defense is that all season it has veered from looking really good to really bad and there doesn't seem to be an in-between of just a solid capable back four and we've talked about the the changes of that that goalkeeper and two central defenders and it's changed too many times but they seem to have settled on Sar and Keo until wow. they get anybody yeah, else back to, yeah. and seeing Stearman back now you wonder if what do what do you do you've got a situation here Steve and I, I'm asking you this now you've been playing with Keo and Sar one of the major problems you've had all season is is changing the personnel in that back three with the goalkeeper but do you give Stearman a go? Do you put him back in there now? I I would. I would take Sar out and put Stearman in just to give. And I know that that people, <laughs> lots of people are, are not big fans of Richard Keogh and would say we'll put 
put him in for, for Keo, but I think Saad just needs a couple of games out. And I almost feel like the thing to do is put Stearman in for Saar for a couple of games and then bring Saar back in alongside Stearman once, once you know that Stearman is back up to speed and, and that he's you know doing what he needs to do. You, you then bring Saar back in. and Because he does, Saar does offer a lot more on the ball than, than the other defenders they've got on his day. Um, and actually, to be fair, I thought Saar was having a good game for sort of the first sort of half hour, forty five minutes, um, and then he sort of fell apart with everyone else in the in the second half. But yeah, that, that's what I would do. I I don't know because I Stearman and Keogh as a two <laughs> against anyone with some some pace really really worries me, particularly with how high you you play your fullbacks when you mm, when you have a field town and. Like you look at somebody like a Swansea, who what they love to do is is to play high and press high and play a high line. Yeah, I'd be worried. <laughs> I'd be worried. This is the problem. I just don't think there's a there's an easy fix there. So for me, I I would genuinely be concentrating all my attention onto the other end of the pitch because I think if you can, they're not a million miles away in these games. As I said, they don't. The, the reason this Wiccan game feels like such a massive outlier is not only because they had a two-goal lead, but also because they scored three against them. And Town, you know, as I said, generally speaking, they don't tend to lose. They don't tend to concede. They concede silly goals, but it's not massive amounts. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one because suddenly it feels it feels like they they really are sliding. And this run of fixtures is is not kind, mm. is it? No. Are are there any positives? <laughs> That you think you can point towards with Huddersfield Town at the moment, or do you think that's inappropriate right now? <laughs> well, I think if we try and make a case for anything, there's going to be a group of fans listening to this who are just going to sort of reject that out of hand, and I completely understand that and get that. I think the positives going forward are the, the positives they've had all along, which is Corbin first half of the season was getting 60 minutes in games that were, were decent and were enough to win several. You know, Town... town have won several games this season. They they I think it's is it nine, nine ten games. Nine, nine. So they're not. They can do it. <laughs> yeah, they can do it. And they've added to this group of players, not lost, because I would say you know Diakabi was no loss. He wasn't being used or utilised. They've got injury issues, which we know, but. You know they have they have to overcome that. That it it feels like the injuries for some have become a bit of an excuse. You know, oh yeah, but when we get so and so back, or when when the injury list is better, you got to use what you've got. And they've got a squad of players here. They've got to focus on just getting back to what they were doing well in the first start yeah. half of the season, which is being more progressive, trying to get on the front foot, pressing high, um, using the space well, utilizing Pippa as this this sort of overlapping almost right back stroke number 10 and just having the confidence to try things again because that that's what was so absolutely evident on Saturday is just if you don't take risks you don't get rewards in football particularly in an attacking sense and they they didn't have the confidence to take any risks and that's that's what's majorly hampers them sometimes and one of the players who I thought perhaps emerges with a little bit of credit before the sort of last 40 minutes when everybody was just just dreadful was I think you saw Janino Bakuna who was the player who was willing to take risks and he was he was getting close to the striker and he was he was sort of I wouldn't say he was reveling in it, but he was certainly enjoying himself. But then, unfortunately, he sort of got caught up in the yeah. He was the, among the worst for being sloppy after yeah yeah yeah. He got caught up in that, and the problem with Janino Bakuna, as ever, is he's either a nine out of ten or he's a five out of ten. He's never he's never in between. Sometimes it's a two. And, <laughs> yeah, so. I, it, it's tough. Look, it's tough to pick out any sort of positives from that game. But I think you have to pick the positives out from earlier in the season and say they've got to find a way to get back to that. But mentally, that's that's tough. They they. I really do think this is like this is a game of maybe mixing up the personnel a bit and just trying to get a different mindset on the pitch and helping them out a bit more, spotting some of the some of the areas where they they're being hurt and reacting to that better. I, I think. Probably from the first half hour, I would pick out 
Uh, I thought Alex Vallejo had a, a a good game until he was one of the players who sort of stood off for the first the first loot and goal. But I thought, generally speaking, in the first half, he was really good. He was he was making things tick. He's, he was completing a lot of passes. He was making tackles, even which we know is and, and making interceptions. That's something we sort of said is maybe his defensive side isn't brilliant, but he was f- pretty sound on it first half. Uh, and he played that brilliant ball over for Fraser Campbell. You know, we, we've talked on here before about whether he after you've lost Carol Lighting, who's got that technical ability and that eye for a pass, whether Vallejo might be the man to replace him um, in that role. And I thought the first goal for town was um, was sort of evidence to support that because I happened to have my eye on Fraser Campbell at the time and that is a, a great pull-off from, from Campbell. He just sort of, you know, pinwheels away towards the, the back of the box, to, towards the side of the box, away from the defence. And um, I saw him make that run. And what are you laughing at? Pinwheels? No, I'm laughing at Gamble pulling off. Yeah, no, I thought it was. Cool. Because I'm a child. Yeah, I thought when I said that, if you were going to laugh, but the laugh was very delayed. Um, and then Vallejo does, and I thought, oh, if Vallejo picks him out here, then he's in. And lo and behold, Vallejo spots him, gets the ball over the top. Fantastic ball. Campbell puts it back across. Bakuna <laughs> wouldn't be Bakuna if he didn't make me worry for half a second about whether he was actually going to score from there. But he did He did, uh, He did. did dummy the keeper, which was, to be fair, I think he had to do because the last thing you want to do from there is end up putting it straight at the keeper. And he did make the keeper guess which way he was going to go. Um, I thought Campbell in general had a, a, a really good 45 minutes um, and I'm, I'm aware I'm a parody of myself at this point for praising Campbell but I genuinely thought he had maybe his best 45 minutes in the town shirt um, on the ball he was he made that run to help set up the first and he, he he helped set up the second as well. Keo just it was it was just a clearance basically from Keo. he was but rather than put it out for a throw he just sort of hit it down the line just see who was there and Campbell takes a brilliant touch to to control it and take take away the defender um, just in sort of one move by chesting it down and spinning as he chests it and then touches it onto Pippa with his second touch and Pippa's got the whole um, opposition half to run into then and I thought that was sort of typical of the kind of nice link up that, that Campbell was doing I, I do feel like we've talked about it before Campbell in this system as a lone striker playing with the players he's playing with probably isn't great but I think Campbell in a two um, has something in it but where, where you're not expe- where you're expecting him to do his work on the halfway line rather than in the opposition box basically um, but as when you say a two I think it's important to say you're not talking about going four four bleeping two it, it's it just get a 10 near him yeah it, it's I do there has been a lot of games this season when me and you have sat there and you know, on one of the other podcasts, Mr. Cosmala is incredibly dismissive of Campbell's talents, but we've sat there going, if he had anyone within 15 yards of him, it, you know, it's it suddenly changes the work he's mm-hmm. doing in that game. So, and just to go back to Vallejo, I'd like to see Vallejo in a 4-2-3-1 yes. as one of the two, but the higher of the two. So you could have Hogg sitting and Vallejo as the sort of true central midfielder. And doing a bit of, it's a horrible expression, but doing a little bit of quarterbacking. And I'd like to see how that worked out with a 10 getting close to Campbell um, to try and try and feed off that, really. I have wondered. But again, these are things. Go on, mate. I have wondered about 4 2 3 1. You know, I, I do keep thinking for exactly that reason, because you've got Hogg and Vallejo, and I, I mentioned. Last week, Vallejo is is a Chapi Alonso defensive midfielder, not a mm. not a Javier Mascarano. But yeah, but you do have a Mascarano, you do have Jonathan Hogg. So you could you could do a four two three one with those two playing alongside each other. The problem there is you've not really got a ten. You could play Holmes as a ten, but as we've discussed, I don't think he's great. I think Bakuna doesn't hasn't worked historically as a ten. You're looking at Pritchard basically, and I think we know at this or O'Brien or O'Brien, but you need him at left back at the moment potentially. Mm. But yeah, it could be O'Brien to be fair. Um, but. Um, and I think we know that we can't really rely on Pritchard at this stage, unfortunately. So that that is where it falls down, unfortunately. But yeah, I don't know. I don't mind Bakuna getting around the striker because he always Bakuna needs to feel like he's got a chance of. Without meaning to sound disparaging, Bakuna often looks like a player who needs to feel like he's got a chance of personal glory. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to to play at his his best. So I quite like Bakuna as a. 
as a 10. He's not a creative 10. He's essentially playing as a deeper striker rather than a, a true sort of creative 10. But I think you could play backer there. And I think, I'm not sure you need Lewis at left back. I think there are ways around that. You know, I, your idea of potentially playing Dehaney and switching Pippa over there was, was one. I think there are others as well. But I mean, Jaden Brown again, could be it, back as well, to be fair. He only played yeah. because it, he'd come back off the concussion protocols and he'd only had one day in training. So that was why he didn't play. So it is possible Jaden Brown could play at Middlesbrough I suppose but it, it just it comes back to the same thing though you've 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 got to find a way to ask a different question that's that's the thing and at, at the moment town are are asking the same questions every single week in week out so you know is it time for a 4-2-3-1 is it time to switch the personnel around neither of us know but it's definitely time to try something yeah I would say so there's we're running quite long this week but I think sort of necessarily so um there's been a lot of criticism of the club hierarchy again and and of the board and of the way the club is being run what's our sort of and there was an update from Phil Hodgkinson on Friday as well what is our position on this at the moment Dave because I think we have often on this podcast try to at least point out the logic of the decisions that town have made even if we don't agree necessarily with the specifics but do you think the criticism from the fans at the moment is is valid do you think there's anything in in what they're saying yeah and no really i think there's i think there's two aspects here um, I think as fans, you can't sit there screaming for communication and when you get a thousand word update from the chairman, then say, yeah, but that's that's not that communication. I want different communication. So I saw a lot of fans saying, well, we want a Zoom Q&A with the chairman. And I think that's a legacy from Dean Hoyle doing his canal side Q&As all the time. I don't think you're going to get that from, from this regime in the the same way and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing it's not it's not a, a sort of Dean Hoyle doing what he did is not a normal thing that happens at every single club across the country so with the greatest respect you can't just sort of demand that and you can't constantly demand more so if Phil gives you that update and then he does a Zoom Q&A you can't say well now I want another interview with Stephen Chicken or now I want something else so I think from that sort of aspect as fans you have to sort of say okay we've got the communication let's let's see where we go from here but I think from the other side of you to to side with the fans a little bit if you're going to have these updates and they're going to go into this sort of detail then from the club's point of view they need to accept that fans are going to dissect it and they are going to go through it and they are going to pick out sound bites and things they don't agree with and and various other things and that's that is also completely fair enough um it it's just it comes back to the same thing steve for me if town win three games and phil puts out an update nobody cares <laughs> Nobody yeah. cares, and I, I mean that in the nicest possible sense. But that's that's the reality. If Town are losing like they are now, you're going to get certain fans who are going to jump on it and say this is absolute rubbish. Certain fans who are going to properly dissect it and pick it apart. You're going to get other fans who are going to say, you know, well, this is absolutely brilliant. It's it's just it's always going to sort of be a bit of a lightning rod for criticism and discussion when you're not winning football games that's that's it sounds churlish to say it but that just drives so much around the discourse of a football club are you actually successful <laughs> is it yeah, fun it does are you enjoying yeah. and that's what all this communication comes down to so if, if town have a really really good end of february and early march the next update will come and everybody will say yeah you know fair enough that's fine <laughs> i like it but if town are still sliding really desperately and things are looking grim then that next update is going to be pulled apart again you know it's just unfortunately it's just the way it is yeah i mean i think the club are well aware that that these things are going to be picked apart and you know fans have a, have a right to, to pick them apart and try and find contradictions and you know try and find and there are going to be certain things that people don't like i thought i thought it was very bold of of um of phil to admit that you know, he's not been able to put the investment into the club that he might have liked, um, although he has put money in to sort of help cash flow and things like that. You know, he has said, you know, look, my own business has been hit um, as well. So I, I myself don't have as much gummy, much money coming in and I need to use my personal wealth to prop up, uh, or not prop up, but to, to help the cash flow situation on pure legal and pure group just as much as I do Huddersfield Town. And I think that's sort of... <sighs> 
fundamentally, I feel like I, I know that there's other issues and people feel like, you know, things like the free transfer windows doesn't reflect well. People feel like the, the Premier League ambition has not been followed up on, um, which I think there's there's validity to as well, although there's reasons for that that are outside Phil Hodgkinson's control, I would say. Um, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of this is people just want an owner who is fabulously wealthy who is able to put millions into the club um and phil can't make himself richer overnight you know he can't he can't magic himself richer um and so i've got a bit of a bit of sympathy for him there because there really isn't much that that he you know when you're asking okay but what do you actually want him to do now there isn't much of an answer that he can actually provide and i think we're we're well past the point where there are a lot of people who will never be won over by phil hodgkinson uh and will never be run over by won over by this regime um i think i can understand where that comes from i i don't i i would say i think that phil hodgkinson and the board have the best interest of the club at heart i don't think there's too much doubt about that um i well i don't think there's any doubt about that at all to be honest not in my mind um but that you know they are they are not the richest club in in the land i think where the fans being upset has a lot more validity as well though is you wouldn't expect this team to to go down to league one um for no. you know for all that the, the the revenues have been cut as a result of covid and there's not much much money coming into the club and for all let's be honest we're talking around it the elephant in the room is you know dean hoyle is taking significant amounts of money back out of the club that he's put 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 into it over the last few years that money is now going back out and that is a substantial amount of money that's going out of that club um even for all of that sliding into league one is not a position this club should be in and certainly not after having had two years in the premier league and i think that is where the fans being upset is is completely valid and and you can understand where they're coming from and that you know i think i think that there might be a certain amount of expectations management in just being in the championship and being mid-table probably is bar some miracle david wagner style miracle um that that is only going to come out of the club being well run it is it doesn't just appear out of the ether but bar some miracle probably mid-table is the limit of Huddersfield town's ambitions realistically with the budget they've got but yeah i mean they shouldn't be sliding into into league one so i can understand after a result like that why people for all the reasons we've discussed would be concerned that that is on the horizon yeah but just to address something directly as well i think i saw a lot of people saying this three transfer windows thing i just firstly i think i i i think Phil was silly for putting a time limit on it, <laughs> you know, saying judge me in three transfer windows. I don't think that was ever going to realistically pan out. Secondly, I think it's completely silly to judge a bloke on, you know, just into the job on a comment he made, you know, 18 months later because it's such a learning curve. And I think we can all agree that if Phil could go back in time I think he would admit himself he there were mistakes he's made and things he shouldn't have said really and I think that would probably be one of them but thirdly it, it's boring to talk about it, it's a subject that everybody when I mention it now will just mentally switch off but you can't understand the sort of rubble of the transfer market at the moment because of Covid there, there was because of because uh, fees were undisclosed technically zero money passed hands in the championship now we know it did because obviously deals were done but there was no money actually uh confirmed Uh, there was only i think six or seven permanent transfers in the premier league yeah i think think i think it was six which is the same number that huddersfield town did Um, in total yeah the the you need to understand that the the transfer market over january was just an absolute Nobody knew what represented value, what didn't. They, they, everybody wanted loan deals where they had to pay as little as possible. Nobody wanted to let players go. The Premier League clubs are hanging on to the sort of higher end of the academy players because 
the way the fixture list has been going and you know having to pull out of a fixture here because of covid has meant three game weeks for others and various that it's just if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna seriously sit there and judge fill on three transfer windows you really you're not looking at the wider situation now when i say that that's not a defense of Huddersfield town's business i think the recruitment needs looking at i don't think the recruitment has been perfect by any stretch but it's just an example of one of these things that keeps getting picked up by fans as you know he's not hit this standard he's not hit that standard and i think that again it's just symptomatic of a club that the fans aren't enjoying themselves there's a disconnect there people within the club are are struggling to sort of re re rebuild that bond at the moment because it's not impossible when you can't even take your son down to the club shop to get a new shirt during the week never mind go to a game so it's just it's a difficult situation all round and it's not Huddersfield Town have got the sort of perfect storm of they're they're a, they're crap on the pitch at the moment and until they get to a point where they're winning games again you know if Phil if Phil offers that update and the 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 sort of two halves of the season are reversed so we're currently in the good times you know the first half was a bit rubs and then you know now we're in the good times and town are winning games and as I said a lot of people are just taking that update on the chin and just saying fair enough we'll see you see you for next month's update so it's just it's it's the whole club there's just lots and lots of aspects of it are just really really difficult at the moment and I feel for the fans more than anyone because they're caught between two stalls of it all as well it's just it's it's a tough time at the moment there's there's no getting away from that Steve yeah and I think as I said it's it's fair to go back and you know look at what the chairman has said and see if those those promises have been kept but I agree with you that there has been a change of circumstances through COVID that I think make it very difficult to hold hold up the things, some of the things that were said after he took over the club before we knew that there was a pandemic on the way. I think, as you say, you wouldn't say those things if you'd known that everyone was going to be shutting up shop and revenues were going to disappear and, and all of these things. And to be honest, I think the, the update that, that went out there wasn't a lot of new information in there that didn't come out in the interview in in October or that wasn't already that hadn't played out publicly so I think the financial stuff um, was pretty much all discussed in October Um, and I think the the transfer deadline day stuff and the transfer window was played out so publicly anyway that I don't think we were really saying anything that that you know or really learning anything that we didn't already know to be perfectly honest so yeah i mean look, i don't think everything's perfect but my my i always come back to with these criticisms okay but what do you want them to do about it now um and i think for a lot of people and a lot of complaints there isn't really an answer to that um and it is just well the answer of... to it is it, the answer to it is win some games of football yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what it always comes down to win some game i i don't think even fans who are uh, dubious about carlos corbran and let's be honest after the weekend there are there are a few who have been nobody wants to feel like that mm-hmm. everybody wants to be like you know ultra positive and believe in in the system but it's it's just a perfect storm and, and i think like without getting too deep the weather's been crap. The football's been crap. Everybody's stuck inside. This lockdown, I can I can tell you just from a personal point of view, is a hell of a lot harder than the other couple of lockdowns because you can't, you know, even when you go for a walk, it's absolutely Baltic. You know, it's half the time it's not a not a pleasure at all. It's a tough time at the moment, and a football a club and football fandom is something you're emotionally invested in, and anything you're emotionally invested in at the moment feels hyper real because we can't see we can't see family, we can't see you know friends, we can't see the people we love, we can't go and watch the team that we like, you know we can't it we can't affect a result by getting behind them, we can't let the board know how we feel by booing them even, you know. So Sorry to say that anybody from the board who's listening, but that that there's nothing we can do about that, and that is going to lead to situations where town lose lose games of football, and you get 
a bit of a Twitter storm. Yeah. And it's just the way it is. It's just it, basically all these things are coping mechanisms, and it's completely understandable. And anybody who's gonna anybody who's gonna pick it apart or say it's not fair, I'm I'm sorry, but you're not looking at the wider context of it. It's it is what it is at the moment. Yeah. And that's not to, again not to say there's not valid criticisms, and you no. know things aren't aren't good, and you know that we the thing I always go back to is you know, and I've said this to Phil that his reputation would sort of live or die by what happened after he sat the cowleys because that was such a big bold move and such a big statement of the direction he wanted the club to go in and you know we sat here on this podcast two months ago and gave them all the praise in the world for that gamble having paid off and done what they intended it would do and I think now if but that's halfway through the season and if if it continues going south, then that gamble will have failed, and they need to take responsibility for that. It's is the long and yeah. short of it, and and it's brutal. But football is brutal. Um, there and- are there are. You're exactly right, though. There are valid criticisms, but there are also invalid criticism as well which are just emotional responses to basically anything that happens at the moment and it's everybody just has to accept that that's just the way of life at the moment it's i i'm as guilty as anyone else i think if i'm brutally honest with you so as my whatsapp will attest when brighton and hove albion are playing Stephen. so <laughs> it, it it's it's just a tough situation and i think everybody's just got to take that on the chin at the moment and accept there are criticisms but it's a weird world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly is. Right then, that's enough. Enough, Dave. Um, yeah, we'll be back. At, we're not going to do one after Middlesbrough, I don't think, unless something really remarkable happens in that game. Um, so we'll be back at you on Monday as usual after the Swansea game. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Uh, your Bobby Robson book is, I saw, did it get up to number, where did it get to on, on the Amazon list? Number two. Wow. Number two. It was Michael Cox's excellent book, The Mixer, was number one because it had been dropped, the ebook had been dropped to 99p for the week. Excuses, Which excuses. is frustrating. But the, the Bobby Robson book isn't out yet, I should stress. That was on pre-orders. It's not actually out till June. So I'd encourage you all to buy it, but to not expect it to come anytime soon. Yeah, Silver <laughs> Linings, it's called. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Waterstones as well, or wherever you buy your books. So, yeah, heartily recommend you get that. Um, fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Dave, as usual, and we will see you all soon. Goodbye. Bye. And why they didn't change anything to offer more protection to Pippa or, or Lewis O'Brien or a lot of love and affection. Um, <laughs> no. no, I'm not leaving that in. We'll do that again. <laughs>